want to welcome everybody to this evening's Mauer Report. Those the, the views and opinions of the show are the host and guests. Well, maybe. Uh, do not represent any views, sponsors, affiliate, anybody else. So that's what it is. Uh, still trying to find Matthew. I have not found him. We, we touched base yesterday and everything was good. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. But hey, we're here. It's Tuesday night. It's 9 p.m. Eastern. we got to do this. We're going to do this one way or the other. So, there's a lot going on in the world right now. So, what I'm going to do is, you know the number, right? I'm sure you've saved it in your phone by now. Been having a lot of these uh, call-in, impromptu call-in shows the last few weeks. A few months, I guess. It is. So, what we're going to do, though, we're going to try something a little different. Yeah, it happens. Life goes on. Two, three, four, seven, three, eight... Two five five two. Now, here is what the deal is. Here's what we're going to talk about tonight. In honor of our guests, we're going to talk monopolies. We're going to talk money. We're going to talk finances. We're going to go there. His book is Goliath's 100-Year War Between Monopoly Power and Democracy. So that's kind of the vein of the conversation tonight. Let's talk money. Let's talk business. All right? Is that fair? Can we do that tonight? So if you want to call in, you want to talk about... I seen Chef Gould um, from a few weeks ago. He tweeted the other day about restaurants closing. Now, this is quite the phenomenon. I've seen uh, some people chimed in after I retweeted about some of their favorite restaurants closing. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how business is changing. Because I've read... read, No, scratch that. I heard... um, about how once somebody visits a website and buys from that website, they're 80, 80 times more likely likely to be a repeat purchaser. Good thing I'm having a good night talking. It's only the thing I do here on the show is talk. Are you more likely to buy from a website that you just bought from and buy from them again? What types of things keep you from buying from websites? Are there websites you won't buy from? I bet you there is somebody in the duck pond tonight that hates Amazon. Guarantee it. I'll just wait. You should have sound. Of course, I, you know, I, I tell people that, but yeah, you should. It's all good, right? Okay, so. What types of things do you look for when you're buying, selling? Do you sell stuff online? I mean, I've got the shop over there, duckpond.shop. Duckpondshop.com. Easy for me to say. They've got some other great conspiracy shirts and all that other stuff, but would you buy from there? And why wouldn't you? Or why would you? To support me? That's fine. If you want to support me, that's fine. Right? That's cool. I'd rather you share the show and help out that way. So, let's, let's talk about that as well. Okay, so re-racking the thoughts here as I kind of come across and start really developing what we're going to talk about tonight. We're talking business. Monopolies. What what monopolies are out there? I mean, um, there's a few. Are we aware of them, though? Is big media a monopoly? Is that why we have such a problem now? Because they weren't broke up before. But how big is too big and becomes a monopoly? Good stuff. I was looking forward to the night show in a great, great way. 
But, you know, sometimes in life, things happen. People have things come up. So we're just going to roll, and we're going to, like I said, the lines are open. You know the number by now. If you don't, you should write it down, put it in your phone, because you're going to need it. That's all there is to it. Right? That's all you need to know. So, business. Anybody out there, I know there's a bunch of people listening who um, have that strong entrepreneurial sense, but maybe don't follow it. Why not? Is now the time to start a business? Anything business-related or money-related? How about this one? Now, I, I have not seen this anywhere reliable yet, but I'm starting to see it, starting to notice it, which is wondering to me. Has anybody else noticed there's a cash shortage? Now, I thought it was funny the first time I seen the uh, the thing come up on Twitter that, you know, there's a cash shortage, right? And then I seen it again, and seen it again, and then today I noticed that the checkouts were all card only. Well, not all of them, but a good majority of them. Now, why is that? Somebody help me out here. Just saying, it's interesting. Is there a cash shortage? Are, are more people holding on to cash right now than ever before? And why? If you have a pile of cash, you don't have to tell me how much cash you have. If you have a pile of cash... Why are you keeping cash? That, that's my question. Because if the government does another round of uh, corona stimulus, whatever you want to call it, and devalues the dollar more, is it worth holding the dollar at all? That's my question for you. Is the dollar worth anything? Now, I heard there are some people melting down the change because the price of metal is worth more than the change. And that kind of... Uh-huh, yeah, right. We've kind of handed around to that before around this program. I have never talked about it full-blown, but that's kind of been a, a thing that we've mentioned before. But is paper... Why are you holding paper money? That's the question. Is that just the thing I'm noticing, or is that a real thing? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. That's what the point of this program tonight is. It's just going to kind of... I'm going to ask questions. You guys going to have to look up the answers and play along and see where we get. And for those of you who've been playing along the last few weeks, and uh, I want to thank uh, people who reminded me, I did get my new notebook out, and so tonight's show, the first one in the new notebook, so proud about that, excited about that, because there is uh, four or five of these uh, ratty old notebooks over there, because I get beat to hell sitting on this desk, week after week, guest after guest, sweaty arm after sweaty arm. <laughs> no, okay, so so that's it I mean, that's the question I, I'm, I'm thinking about business tonight I'm thinking about how business is changing I'm thinking about maybe this is just, maybe I've been paying too much attention to this lately because of this I knew this was going to, I wanted to talk about this I've been wanting to talk about this. Welcome to the Mail Report How are you doing this evening? Why did it stop? Well, I did not hang up on you, whoever just called. It just hung up on me, which is fine. Um, okay, so. But business has been on my mind for the last few weeks, if you had noticed. Cause I, back to the chef, even, right? Because that was kind of that transition into this conversation I've been having for the last few weeks. It hasn't been constant. There's been some variations in there, but it's been kind of on my mind for months now. I know that's hard for anybody to believe that I've been trying 
loosely, tentatively, to theme up the shows, kind of keep them running together. Kind of. It's hard to believe. Um, hard for me to believe. Sorry, I got distracted by my own shadow on um, on the video feed. Welcome to the Mallory Report. May I ask how you're doing tonight? Duckmaster, this is Germantown Runner Dave. Dave, I figured this topic would provoke a comment or a five from you. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're talking business, that's one of my areas that I love to talk about because I write about it. So what, what what are you making of all, I mean, did, were you one of the ones that commented on uh, Andrew's comment about, about 80% of uh, restaurants, mom-and-pop restaurants, closing in the next year? No, I didn't. Okay, so, but anyways, I know some of the people in the pond did. I don't remember who it was, and I can't find it right now because obviously I want to. <laughs> right, so of what, course, it's Murphy's Law. <laughs> so what do you think about that, though? 80% of mom-and-pop restaurants closing in the next year. I think I think that... That number is unfortunately realistic if, but here's my caveat, only if we go, go backwards, if we retrograde on our reopening of the economy, if we stall and either, either just don't make any forward progress or we remain, or we, or, or we begin going backward, it's going to be bad for mom and pop restaurants. It's just, it's going to be devastating. And all that you have to do is uh, go to the National Restaurant Association's uh, website, which is, of course, the lobby group. It's the advocacy group for restaurants, both big and small. But they have all kinds of studies that they've posted uh, that they've paid for on their on their website that points out the economic effect of not reopening the economy you know at a at a um at a logical speed we've got to keep pushing forward or or we're going to slip into some really desperate times not only for restaurants but but for other businesses as well yeah i was gonna say restaurants are the tip of the iceberg and it it does still concern me i i still see um stories about Farmers dumping food because their restaurant capacity is not there. I mean, yeah, yes, they exactly. Down of this. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring it up because just last uh, Friday, and I'm going to go again this Friday because I'm trying to you know support local businesses, and in this case, it's a local farm. There's a dairy farm here in the mountains of Maryland, outside of D.C. where I live. That it, it's a full service dairy. It's really so interesting. You can go there. It's it's. Uh, you know, to go out to the farm is totally for free. You can watch the cows being milked. You know, it's a big commercial creamery. But I mean, as 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 commercial farms go, it's very small. But still, it's you know, it's a full service, full size, you know, dairy farm. And you can you can buy fresh eggs, you know, free range eggs and and milk and all this. And they have, um, you know, obviously during this during this shutdown, they had to shut down and all their public outreach, and they went. And implemented a business model that I think you might find very, very interesting. You're too young, but when I was a kid, growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, we had a milkman. And he delivered milk to our house once a week. And he put it in a metal box outside of our door. And it was an insulated box. And you could, you, you and you just checked off on a piece of paper 
this was obviously pre-internet, pre-everything, <laughs> um, and you would slip it in the box, and then the next week you would get that, and so you would get everything, you know, the next week. You could get milk, dairy, cream cheese, cottage cheese, you name it, uh, you know, regular cheese, ice cream, you know, whatever you have, you could have it delivered to your box outside of your door. I hope a lot of your listeners, you know, were fortunate enough to experience this when they were younger, and maybe they still do now. Well, the good news for this dairy farm, the reason why I'm telling you this, is they were entrepreneurs. They lost, obviously, a lot of their business servicing restaurants. And so they very quickly implemented a home delivery service because where where were all the shortages? Grocery stores. They didn't have eggs. They didn't have meat. They didn't have milk. Well, the um, South Mountain Creamery here in Maryland, they started the exact same service with insulated boxes outside of your door. No paper slips this time. You order it online. And uh, they have a delivery man come, and it's totally socially distant. It's totally safe. You never even see the guy. He takes your old bottles out. Then they use, you know, beautiful old-fashioned milk bottles. Your old bottles out because they recycle them. They clean them and wash them, reuse them. And then the new bottles are deposited. And that's how they survived during during the, the, the Chinese virus shutdown. That's how they survived. So it's kind of like a back-to-the-future model. I asked them because I know the owner of the farm. He's a he appears on a local radio station here, an AM talk station here in my little town, from time to time as a guest, just to talk about local business. And so I've gotten to know him, and just from seeing him at county fairs and things like that. And I asked him, "Did you take any of the government bailout money? Did you apply?" And he said, "No, he didn't want to do it. It was too many strings attached." Blah blah blah. But the way, as an entrepreneur, he saw the way to get around this was. To, to revive the 1940s through 1970s home delivery service. And it has taken off. And now it's gotten so big that he's not going to discontinue it. Now that the farm is open again, I mentioned I went there last Friday. I'm going to go again in four days this coming Friday um, to purchase milk and cheese and eggs. The eggs are incredible, by the way. Um, it's so successful, he's not going to discontinue it, even though his business is slowly returning to normal. Restaurants are opening here in my town, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's got now a whole new source of income that uh, he's now you know, enjoying as a result of being an entrepreneur, looking backward while looking forward. I thought that was very, very, very cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a great... Great story about how a success came out of this. Yes, exactly. But I will tell you that he is worried. He is worried that uh, these governors are going to panic if they see a little spike in the virus rates, or even a, even a moderate spike in the virus rates. He's he is deathly afraid that they're going to move way too quickly and way too easily back to shutting the economy down, laying people off, and then his his business again will slide back down. Well, you know, he's very, very worried about that. I, I know you pay attention because uh, you're my neighbor to the south, right? Because you're from Maryland, I'm from Pennsylvania, so you pay attention to the Pennsylvania politics of this all. Yes. And unfortunately, I think that in this state, or excuse me, Commonwealth, that nah, drives the discussion, the politics of it anymore. Or more more of a factor than 
anything, and I think it's a power play, especially here. I'm speaking for Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, as, as somebody that, that we see, I live far enough north in Maryland that I get a lot of Pennsylvania news. It's just either my media covers a lot of the Pennsylvania news based on the fact where I am, or I can receive some of the radio stations and even um, uh, Internet sites here that you know I, I know to go to to read up on what's going on. And, of course, it's making national news as well. My opinion is this. I think some of these governors and and... Unfortunately, I, I, I believe it's mostly Democrat governors, although there are examples of Republican governors as well who have acted like this. They have gotten drunk on their power. They have become intoxicated uh, with their ability to control. And once you give an entity, a person, an institution, an agency, a government, the power to control, it's very difficult to get it back and i personally in my personal opinion i think that your governor is one of those authoritarians they've discovered that they like being the king (laughs) it's a lot easier to be the king and to just decree things and and executive order things than to go through the legislature in harrisburg the state capitol and to do things by you know to get laws passed the old-fashioned way you want to change something you want the lockdown to go on further Let's pass a law. Well, he knows it will never pass. It will never pass in Harrisburg. And, and here's the other thing. He doesn't have to worry about re-election because he's term limited out. So he can pretty well, much right. do anything he wants and have no consequence whatsoever for it. Right. But, uh, you know, I just want to point out that, and, and, you know, whether you like our sitting president or not, it's not what I'm talking about here, but he did say something that has since been backed up by the American Academy of Pediatrics, by the psychology profession, by psychiatrists, by university studies, and that is, yes, the coronavirus, or as I, I like to call it, the Chinese virus, is, 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 has been a, a blight on our country. People have died from this virus. There's no denying it. It, you know, it can be deadly. It can be completely benign. You have it, you don't even know it. You know, it's just, they're not really sure why it happens. Now it's hitting young people now more than older people. But the point is that beyond the virus, the number one cause of death during this time period is poverty. Poverty kills. And when you shut down business and you shut down an economy and you shut down the ability for someone to bring food to the table and to uh, continue their self-esteem, you know, as somebody who was, you know, an employee at one point and now has been laid off and the, you know, the mental effects that has on people, poverty also kills. Poverty also is an illness. It's not a biological illness. It's a mental illness. And so when these governors both on the left and the right, wield this ability, you know, this uncontrolled ability to just open and close things at will, some of which seems ridiculous. You know, you can, you can, you can protest, you can, you can do um, social protesting in the streets with no masks, but you can't sing in church? What? So when some of these governors do this, they don't realize, some of, I think, some of the health effects that are some of the unintended consequences of these shutdowns. So we've got, we've got to strike. We have to strike a balance here. Oh, I hear a phone, I hear a phone dialing. 
Yeah, as I said, I just got my guest's number where he's at right now. So I was trying to di- dial while you were talking, but apparently the tones are playing, so that's always awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hear tones. <laughs> so I, I've got one more question. That's a lovely I call, tune. <laughs> I've got one more question before I call him, and now I'm worried that I, di- I typed it in for nothing because I'm going to have to hang up on you and it's going to go away. But anyway, so we're going to hear Yeah, no, again. no, I'll hang up. I'll hang up. <laughs> now, I've got one question for you real quick. I know we talked oh, okay. about this, but I want to get it on the record. I know you've... I, I, Tend to agree, but Kanye running for president would be fill in the blank. A publicity stunt for his upcoming release of a CD. And amazing. <laughs> I, hear, I hear tones. <laughs> I don't know what happened that time. I did not push. I mean, I, I pushed something, but I was not pushing tones, so I don't know. So anyways, <laughs> I hear tones. <that>. <laughs> okay, anyways. <laughs> My man. All right, well, listen, I'll let you go, so hopefully we can get our guest on the line. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him a ring here just directly, so thanks for calling. Okay, cheers, and hello to everybody in the Duck Pond. So let's get that number over here. Let's call Matthew here. Let's call Matthew here. Let's see. One. I hope you don't, guys, don't try to figure out his phone number. So I'm going to try to talk over as I dial, because that'd be bad. Matthew, how are you doing? I got to warn you, you are live, so don't say anything that you don't want to say permanently on the record. Who is this? Jim Mallard, how are you doing? We agreed to do a podcast. Oh. I just got a hold of you a few minutes oh, ago. Oh, okay. You want to do this now? Okay. Yeah. You All good? Right. All right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, talk to, talk to me about the book Goliath, the million-year war between Monopoly and the power of democracy, because that's really why it caught my eye, and I wanted to talk to you about that, and then I'll ask you a couple questions and get you back out of here. Sure. It's the hundred year war, not a million years. Oh yeah. But, no, anyways, sorry about that. I had too many yeah. zeros there. Got a little excited when I wrote that down, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's been going on a long time, but not that long. So yeah. So I wrote a book. It's called Goliath, the hundred year war between monopoly power and democracy. And it is about the, how Americans managed the fight over corporate power in the 20th century first half is about how uh, we actually, Americans, beat back the robber barons who are controlling our markets and our corporations and our government. And then the second half is why, with a, a, a sort of a middle-class society in the in the 50s, although an imperfect one in many ways, uh, why we allowed the robber barons to come back. And sort of the book is an explanation about why we have concentrated monopoly power in kind of every nook and cranny of our economy. Yeah, as I was going to say, I was thinking about Standard Oil and how that got broke up and all that other stuff, and now it seems like they're everywhere, like telecommunications, the media. Why isn't, I mean, is it just because of the big money that nothing's being done to prevent this? No. I mean, you got to read my book to find out. <laughs> so, <laughs> there we go. Always be, you know, always be closing and all that. Uh, no, it's because... You know, in the American experiment, the tradition that we had, going back to the Boston Tea Party, the, which was a protest against a monopoly, the East India Company and their monopoly over tea, we had a tradition of trying to constrain private power, corporate power, banks. Americans guarded their liberties jealously, and they guarded them against agglomerations of capital, 
all the way in, up into the 1880s, 1890s. And then you saw this explosion of corporate power for a variety of reasons. Uh, but but even then, uh, you know, Americans fought back. And there was, uh, I start my book in 1910 with Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt's sort of the, the guy that, you know, a lot of ways was that pivot point. And, and then up into the 1930s with the New Deal, we really were able to get a hold of that concentrated corporate power that had exploded in the 1890s. And you had money then, you had greed, you had the same things that we have today, but, but you also had a language and a tradition and a common understanding that agglomerations of, of capital and monopolies were really dangerous. They were threats to our liberty, and they were, they were the reservoir of aristocracy. And Americans at that time still understood the problem of aristocracy as the main political challenge that they faced because they had fought off an aristocracy during the Revolutionary War, and then they saw aristocracies in Europe, and so that's what they were comparing themselves to. What really happened, uh, kind of starting a little bit in the 50s, but more in the 1970s, is that Americans became persuaded that monopolies and corporate power were not a threat to their liberty. There was sort of just a sense of, oh, this is just how the world works. We have these corporations, and they just are these natural things. Uh, and they bring us goods and services, and they really pose no threat or problem to us. And politics is really not, you know, political, you know, co- corporate power might be a problem, but it's not a political problem. It's not part of politics. So they airbrushed private power out of our politics, and we started arguing about different things, important questions, but not corporate power questions. And so you do that for 40 years. I mean, this really was the, the policy really started getting rolled back in the 19, early 1980s. That's when Reagan got rid of antitrust enforcement. Maybe the late 70s, Carter did a little bit of it too. But, but after 40 years where you have no, uh, no enforcement of anti-monopoly rules and you, you tilt your laws to enable the concentration and roll-up of power, you have a society like the one that we have today, which is, you know, has the symbolism of a democracy. We still have elections. You know, we still have freedom of speech and in many ways a lot of political freedoms. But increasingly, in the commercial realm, there's a lot less opportunity. There's a lot more fear. Um, there are a lot more bosses. There's a lot more bureaucracy. There's a lot less freedom. And what we're seeing is the rise of a new aristocracy. And so, and so it's more of an intellectual story. It's a story about how we, the people, kind of lost our language and lost our tradition and it's also a way of helping us rediscover that language and that tradition. And yeah, there's some money and there's some political corruption and all the rest of it. But we've had that for a couple hundred years. The reason it got really bad in the 1970s and 80s is because, you know, it has stayed bad is because we lost our tradition and our and our rhetoric. So I'm guessing now that the toothpaste is out of the tube, we're kind of screwed. Or no. is, there a way, is there a path back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this stuff is... This is not rocket science. It's, it's manageable, right? We do live in a democracy, and people are not dumb, and they're not corrupt. They're just confused. And I think that if you, you know, if, if people start to relearn these traditions and they start to, you know, ask and demand that to be governed again, then it's fixable. That's the thing is, is that if you look in all of our laws and regulations, you know, you can just start using them again. They're there. Um, we have a lot of our government agencies. We have, uh, you know, we have a lot of business people that want a different society because they, they want to make things, they want to build things, and they're not able to right now. And 
you know, you also see, you know, you see successful markets. I think like podcasting is a good example of a successful market where you are able to, you know, start a podcast. And if you get an audience, you can sell some ads, you can, you know, you can have your voice out there. And that, so we still have these, some of these things. I mean, it's not true on, say, you know, a publishing on broadly on the internet. Um, but you do have some markets that are functional. And we know, you know, we know what to do. Uh, it's just a matter of getting enough of the public to say, you know, yeah, we want, we do want a different society where we actually do govern our markets and where we do constrain corporate power. And, and if we get back to that, if the, and that's what I think the public wants, they're just a little confused. But if we get back to that, you know, it, it'll, it can happen very quickly. That's what, that's what happened in the 30s. I mean, from 1933 to 1938, there was sort of a wholesale reordering of American life. And that wasn't that, you know, five years, it's not that long. No, it's not. It'd be. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen, though. Now, I seen you making some comments on TikTok earlier today, but I don't remember what they are. But I know they caught my eye. Can you help me fill in the blank there? Yeah, I, I think TikTok, it you know, it's owned by the by Chinese company, and all Chinese companies are controlled in um, by the Chinese Communist Party if they want to. It's a Leninist party, and. Um, and I, so I think that it's dangerous to have uh, TikTok, you know, in use across our country because you have the ability to put information on in front of a lot of people, and it's also the ability to collect data on a lot of people. And I just don't think that we should allow the the Chinese Communist Party to have that power over America. They have used that power in inappropriate ways in other contexts. I think they would use it in inappropriate ways with TikTok. So. What I said is I think that the the company that owns TikTok, I think they're called ByteDance, they should either divest TikTok, so sell it to a non-Chinese um, company, or we should ban TikTok. Um, I also said that, and India just banned TikTok for that reason, but I also think that there's a broad problem with tech platforms, not just TikTok, but Google and Facebook and uh, Twitter and a host of others, where because their communication networks and they're financed by advertising, they're, they're sort of non-neutral and, uh, and that enables a bunch of corruption. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, they like platforms that are not neutral so that they can manipulate people on them. And so does Google and Facebook because they like to sell ads and make a lot of money on them. But I think that to have a democracy, you need to make sure that your communication networks are neutral and just facilitate the flow of information among, you know, free citizens. And so I would also make some really significant changes to tech platform markets, particularly advertising markets. And uh, that would probably take care of the TikTok problem. But if you don't do that, at least you need to ban TikTok or force the divestment of Chinese ownership. Yeah, I was going to say, because most of that data is already out there, I think. I mean, it's been scraped from Google and Facebook, and they probably know me better than me at this point. Well, it's not just about the data. I mean, I don't know how many people in America use TikTok, 50 million, 100 million, something like that. It's the ability to put information in front of them or to censor what they say. And that's, you know, you can do that quite easily with an opaque platform like TikTok. So you put out, if you're a, uh, um, if you use TikTok and you have something to say about a political ally of the CCP or something that they want, you know, they, that they don't want you to say, you know, they, they just won't end up showing your TikTok to anyone. But if they, if if you say something that they want to have heard, they'll they can spread that 
pretty broadly and widely. And no one will ever know because there's no audits. And I just don't think that that kind of power, first of all, I don't think that kind of power should exist. Uh, I, I think it's a flawed business model for a variety of reasons. But if it is going to exist, it certainly shouldn't be in the hands of uh, a regime that is putting, you know, Uyghurs in concentration camps, that is censoring, um, you know, Americans, you know, in the Houston Rockets, they did that, or, or, or trying to make sure that American companies sort of do their bidding. I, th- I think it's just too dangerous. So I wouldn't, um, that, that's kind of, it's not just about data, it's, it's, it's about power. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always more to the story. Um, now, I guess this whole COVID thing has helped monopolies, though, because I, I was just referencing before you came on about the number of mom-and-pop restaurants potentially closing is around 80% in the next year. So I, I, I imagine that's just playing in their favor because they've had more money and have got bigger PPE loans and all this other stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, you largely don't have a, uh, you know, the the policy. It's Again, it's always a policy choice. So the way that we've structured the um, the way that Congress structured the coronavirus rescue packages is that they allowed our uh, government to provide large amounts of support to large businesses. And they, they have not enforced antitrust laws. And so what you did see is like, is Amazon gained a lot of power. Google's gained a lot of power. I think Walmart has gained a lot of power. And a lot of the small stores, you know, have, have been, and small restaurants have been eroded. So, uh, you know, but, it, but it's a, we could make different uh, choices around policy. It's just that right now we happen to be in a, in a political environment in which our, our leaders are, are not taking on corporate power they're letting corporate power run things so that's what happens yeah that's the sad part of it all okay so where can people find the book and find you and find all that fun stuff so uh you can find information about the book my my web address is mattstoller.com so m-a-t-t-s-t-o-l-l-e-r.com and i also have a newsletter the newsletter is called big where i write about the politics of finance and monopoly you can also just Google it. It's called Goliath, um, the hundred year war between monopoly power and democracy. And you know, there's a number of places to buy it. So that's how you can, I am also on Twitter. You can find me. I'm not that hard to find. So you're not that hard to find. Um, sure. last, last, last question I have for you as, as we're looking at just, as, I'm taking this to a broad sense and you could take it wherever you want, but. What should what should what questions should I be asking? Because I you know I interview candidates once in a while. What kind of questions should I be asking to see where they're at? Like I mean, obviously there's the the narrow questions I'm sure I could get into, but is there a real easy tell that they're big business or Main Street? Should we break up Amazon? Ask Ooh. that. But Amazon's just a- Amazon too big. I'm, now you, I'm dumbfounded. That's just a, not a good thing for a radio host to be dumbfounded and speechless at the same time. But that's where we're at. Um, <laughs> that it is too big, though. There we but go. How, but how would you break it up? Well, there are a lot of ways you could break it up. I mean, I would I would break it up into lots of small pieces. But I, you know, you could separate out. It has a big logistics arm. I would separate that out. So um, fulfillment by Amazon is its own. That's like their warehouses and their delivery service. Uh, so I would separate out that out from their retail. I would also separate out their marketplace from their retail. Um, 
So, and their private label business. Because if you're a third-party merchant and you're selling through Amazon, Amazon is also competing with you, and that's not fair. So they should be running a marketplace like eBay, um, or they should be, you know, selling directly like Walmart, you know, or they, you know, or they should be doing logistics like FedEx or UPS. But they combine them all, and because they combine them all, they can be like, well, we're going to give our shipping capacity and advantage and you have to use our shipping because if you want to get through our marketplace and we're going to give our private label brands or our retail an advantage and you have to use us to get to the customers and we're going to put we're going to put our products ahead of yours oh and by the way we have surveillance power over you because you have to you go through our website and that means we capture all of your data um, so there's a number, you know, there's a number of different components of Amazon. And if you just separate them out, um, then you, you end up with a much simpler business model. So I would say, you know, separate it out into an eBay-like structure, into a Walmart-like structure, and into a UPS-like structure. And that's a much safer structure because then if you want to buy the logistics, you can go to UPS. If you want to buy the, the uh, if you want to use the um the storefront, the eBay, you go to that, you go to Amazon.com. And then if you want, um, you know, if you, it, like you just use the components that you want to use and you don't, since they're not tied together anymore because they're independent companies, then you're not coerced into using any component piece that you don't want to use. And that's really where the monopoly power comes from. All right, Matthew. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for jumping on with me real quick. Sorry we got our wires crossed, but we'll, we'll figure that out. So thank you again. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Talk to you later. Bye. And that's, uh, yeah, uh, seems the, the website seems to be bringing itself down tonight. Just a more fun in my, my, my fun price right now. I wanted to get Matt in and out. That was kind of the message I got that he was, um, busy tonight. So, hey, we got that taken care of for him. So there he is. And that's the, the power. I hadn't even thought about breaking up Amazon. So if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that as well some more. If not, you can talk about your small business. We heard from Germantown Runner earlier, a success story of a small business, um, which was great to hear because I hear so many and see so many reports and uh, stories of businesses, small businesses who have closed their doors for the last time or closed them indefinitely which always scares me when somebody says they're closing their doors indefinitely because that kind of says to me that they don't have a plan to come back, and that scares me, right? So, a lot going on in the world right now. A lot of business things. That's what that's kind of been the tone of the night show, and that's what I wanted to keep it, and I think we're going well in that method to the madness. So, kicking the phone line back open. So you can call in and tell me what you're thinking about your business or my business or some business you heard of. If you've got another success story, we can ca- capitalize on that, promote that as well. Let me know what you're thinking. Two three four seven three eight two five five two. Hey, you know what? If you're listening to this podcast, I know way more people listen to these podcasts, even the live call-in shows. People love listening to them on a podcast. I'm not exactly sure. So what we need to do right now, my podcast listeners, I'm sorry to the people in the duck pond. Give me two minutes here. I don't do this often, but what we need to do is subscribe, leave a review, and share. 
I, I don't do this often enough, right? I hear other shows and every five minutes out of their mouth is, hey, share, 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 share. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying another word until I get four shares. Okay. I'm not going to do that to you. There we go. Think about it, though. The show's been on nine years. The show's brought you value. I've invited all my friends today. I, I messed up the the banners Cat Ward posted out to me. That's fine. It happens. I'm not the greatest grim t- grimitarian. <laughs> I think I just made up a word. Okay, anyway, so back to business. Where is business? Where's business going? How I, I, I think business has forever changed. Now, I <laughs> duh, duh. More so than we think. More so than most people are going to give it credit for. Let's name some things right now that come to my mind. Places that restaurants that didn't offer takeout before will be offering takeout always and forever now. Just because. They have to be ready for it. Just in case, you know, we were talking about shutdowns and how bad that would be. I don't know if we'd ever get another one. But just for them to be ready in case... I think they've got to do it in in perpetuity going forward. Zoom meetings, no matter how bad Zoom is, right? Zoom meetings are going to stay. Now, I think Zoom and or other sites will get better because of this. Looking at you, Skype, right? You had that market for years, online calling. And you were nowhere to be found when people needed you because you've got a bad reputation. Just saying. For the record, on the record, you've got a bad reputation. Okay. Other things that are changing. Emails, right? Emails are back, baby. People aren't calling. People aren't any of that stuff anymore. It's all emails all the time. Nine to five's out the window. Sorry, guys. Work until 10 o'clock. Just the way the world is, right? Can we all agree on that? That the world's changing? Okay. What else? What else has changed? What other things have changed? What am I missing? Complete this list. Come on. Let's go. A lot of things here. Now, what, what gets me, though, I'm still thinking about this Amazon thing, right? And there's, there's the digital book platform. Right? Which is interesting. Right? Is that the... I mean, that could be its own shop by itself, and then you could have... I don't know. It just... He is right, though. There's a lot going on there. That as as I start thinking about these different things and the different... And Google, too, right? I mean... Well, it seems... Like one big company and they all feed together. It's interesting. And Facebook, they're getting bigger every day. Here's the question, though. Here's the question that I have had for the last few months. Now that these companies have my data, right? They know what I like, this, that, and the other. What's to keep me going to them? Right? I mean, I can tell which companies pay attention to what I like. And it gets... 
Yeah. Mm. All right. A little artificial intelligence going on. They're picking, not only, but see, I don't, I don't mind them picking my ads so I know what's going on. It's the posts they pick. That's where, like, I can give you ads, right? You want to show me an ad for a podcast course? I got it, right? That's cool. But when you start censoring the pages I like and start censoring the friends that I, I see, that's where we have a problem. And I don't think they realize that yet. So, yeah. That's where I get in trouble when I start thinking about this. And I shouldn't think about this this way. Because as we keep going forward, right, I find myself more on Messenger, more on direct message, more more one-on-one engaging, hand-in-hand, talking to the person and avoiding what they have set up for me to see. Man, that's where it gets. German Town Runner, I love the uh, image in the chat room tonight. Or I love the new image in the chat room tonight. So, yeah. German Town Runner pops up, more employees will work from home. Now, that's the, the key to this. I Thank you for saying that, German Town Runner, because I believe this plays back to Harry Dent talking about real estate being overvalued. Go back and look it up. A few months ago, right? He told you there's going to be a big bubble in the real estate market. Now, I'm thinking commercial office space, right, will be the first to blow. Because businesses are going out of business, restaurants are going out of business, offices. We don't need an office with all those offices anymore. If we have people working from home, we just need a small conference room and a few offices that people could come in and do whatever and be gone again. Germantown Runners number two is immediate downtown urban business districts will be in big trouble as people come back out to the suburbs and rural areas. Now, they can stay away from my rural area all they want. Just kidding. (laughs) But that's it. People are going to be looking for places they don't have, you know, I think about Brian Bowden, who was in the chat room a little bit ago. I think about him. And what, what was this? What's that number? What's that number? 27,000 square... 27,000 people a mile? Or something like that in New York City? That seems low. I'm not exactly sure what that statistic was, and I should not go randomly spooting off stats that I don't know the, the facts of. Either way, it's a bunch of people right on top of each other. Yeah. And do you foresee, do you foresee a time going back? Right? I mean, I don't know. Oh, that's the thing, right? I um, I think... I think life is changing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sure it's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying we got to be aware. And that's kind of why I do these... Kind of why I'm doing this one tonight. On, on money and business. Because in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I want somebody to look back and say, how was business being noted in the moment July, July 7th 2020 how was that looking how was that being documented oh here's a Mallard report about money about business I've got one scheduled 
I don't really have them scheduled, but in my mind, I've already I've been cooking on one for schools, back to school. I want to do a special about back to school. How does that look? I want to do one on sports coming up as well. As we start to get ever closer to baseball and hockey and all these returning. But that might be next week or the week after. So stay tuned for that because that is coming. So I, I'm trying to get these shows documented in the moment. That's part of the reason I haven't been so upset about having these live call-in monologue type shows. Because they're needed right now. It is very important that we put these together and put them out. And in five months, this is going to sound very dated. In five years, somebody's going to be like, damn, I'm glad he did it. Then it'll only be five or ten people that are going to listen to these in five years and be like, glad, damn, he did it. But that's okay. Because people of today will hear, sit here and go, hmm, maybe I should have said something. Or hey, here's a comment on your blog. Or here's a, a review. Or here's a tweet. Here's something I've seen, Jim. I'm going to tweet it to you at Mallard because you need to know this. You need to be aware of this. Because, well, I pay attention all day to a lot of things. I don't see everything. Right? Germantown Runner, Toro, some of these people do a great job of keeping me fed with information. I love information. Relevant information. Because in the 24-7 news cycle, it gets so easy to get things lost. Right? 5G. Now, 5G has been rumored to be one of those things that is um, troublesome. Probably have to do a show on that probably in the fall, though. Man, it's, it's I, literally sitting here planning things out with you live on the air. Like, this is unscripted, unrehearsed. This is just live me talking to you, the listener. And it's amazing right now, right? Like, the context... The things that I'm trying to pull off, like I, like, like I see these things, right? Like finance and food, and I want to pull them all off, right? And I go out and I find the guest that can do it. And then I realize, man, I've got to wait four days to talk to this person, or five days, or three days, or two days, or whatever it was, right? Like, man, I... You know, there's that want to do this every night right now, especially as this information is just oozing out and the peop the top quality people that c will come on this program and talk about it. Oh, audio just crashed. It shouldn't have. So. I don't know. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's it's a work. It's a work in progress. It is all fluid. So I love this part of this. This this part gets me right. I love people that sends me ideas for guests. I love them. I'll take every one of them and I'll review them. Of course, the problem is right. I get probably twenty good guests a week. Good guest ideas, guest requests, all this stuff, right? So, yeah, that's the hard part. But keep them coming. Man, I love seeing who you people think should be on the show. I do enjoy it immensely. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things. One of those nights. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm talking to myself about the website kind of crashing right now. So, having fun with that. Probably shouldn't have talked about TikTok. Yeah. Anyways, so. There's all that. So, where does it all go? Right? I mean, like I said, we've kind of been talking about all this and talking about all this. Talking about business and the model, how it's changing, how things are developing, how things are are growing, how things are evolving, especially for the show. But let's talk about you for a few minutes. How how's things going with you? Now that's this is the great loss of this program. Well, the duck pond's great, and I see ten to fifteen to twenty of them every week. Sometimes great people. Sometimes above above and beyond people, right? I see 15, 20 people in there. Out of the, eh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 to 1,000 people, listen, a week. Plus, 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 right? Well, that's not counting all this other stuff. So, I mean, that number just keeps going. So when I, I engage a small, small percentage of people who have this in their headphones right now, listening to this at the gym or on the drive to work or wherever it may be, which is fine. I'm not saying you have to stop everything and email me. Please don't unsubscribe because I'm reaching out to you and I'm saying, hey, I'm here. Unlike other, that's actually part of the reason I got into the show. I don't know if I've ever talked about this. So we're going to talk about this now as we kind of get, uh about five minutes left. So let's take a minute here and have story time with Uncle Jim. When I got into the show, when I when I got into internet radio back in the day, I had a show host tell me they had millions of listeners. Millions. I went to their chat room. I sat there for the two and a half hours of their program. Me, host, and producer... I asked four questions that night. Good questions. Better questions than he was asking. None of them got asked. None of them even got noted by the producer. Who didn't say a word. The host said hello. That was it. That bothered me. Because he personally invited me. Via private message on a a social media site. Not that I feel entitled, but when you're the only person there, reach out and say hello. Ask one of the questions. You all heard Germantown Runner tonight. You've heard different people in different call-in shows who you know mean a lot to me, right? If you're out there listening, if you're listening in Ireland, Australia, Japan, Germany... Austria, Canada, had all you Canadians. I know there's a bunch of you listening now. Right? There's a bunch of you listening around the world that I'll never know your name. I'll never know where you're from, but I get to see the numbers. I get to see the little blips on the map, and I know you're out there. And the world is small, and I'm always blown away that anybody takes the time to listen to this program. Anybody. At all. But people do. People listen to it early and often, which still blows my mind. 
But I'm just saying, if you if you reach out, don't be afraid. If you don't if if you don't want to, that's fine too. I get it. You're I'm just part of the mix on your way to work. I got it. But sometimes it gets intimidating. Now you're saying, Jim, you haven't said how to reach out yet. What's wrong with you? Thanks again, Germantown Nerd, for calling in. Here's where you reach out. Jim at themowardreport.com. That simple. Email me. Find me on Twitter. Find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Gab, Parlor. Uh, I think they finally deleted Google+. Plus. <laughs> uh, YouTube. D, D live tonight, first night over there. Facebook live. Um, I honestly don't keep up with all those chats, guys. Sorry, I wish I could, but I don't. Um, this becomes way too much to manage. But the Duck Pond is always the place to be at slash live. You can hang out with the awesome people in the Duck Pond. I'm telling you right now, that's the place to be. So, I hope you take advantage. And I know there are places in the world that it's uh, way late, way early, middle of the day, middle of the night, and you can't be here. And I appreciate that, too. So I appreciate all of you a great deal. I just uh, don't say that often enough. Um, I guess doing this for nine years and you start reflecting a little bit because you know that big one is coming. The ten, that ten-year number comes. and So you start putting things, you start holding things up and you start going... How is this possible? How has this show been going on for almost 10 years? How is this show 460-some-odd in? How did I get from those early days when it just was a struggle to now sitting here going, man, the guest list is is comparable to anything that I see. Like, it is, I'll, it's strong. How do we get there from here? And you start looking and you start remembering things and you start remembering people that aren't here anymore and you start, you get really reflective and real honest and real humble with yourself. Because honestly, I tell people this all the time and nobody believes me. This is the same show that I started nine years ago, right? This is, while the topics aren't the same and the guests aren't the same and the genuine quest for, for asking the questions is there. And I, I just want to tell everybody I appreciate them wholeheartedly, and I hope they understand that. And um, it's not easy, right? Good. We kind of talked about business, and now I'm kind of getting softy on you here. Because um, I appreciate you. And I don't, like I said, I've, I've said that twice now. I don't say it nearly enough, but I think I should. And um, so I just wanted to say it tonight. I think I've said it a few times more often than I have in the last eight years for sure so I just want to make sure I want you all to know that I, I value you and I value your time and um, literally looking forward to the next few months um, a lot of things in my mind that I want to do and I'm going to do it and uh, we're not looking back we're, we're hitting 10 and we're, we're flying that's all there is to it so I, I want to thank you for being part of this and I um, want you to keep being part of this for a long time to come because I have no plans People are like, hey, he's going to quit soon. <laughs> Ain't got no plans of quitting soon. We've got plans to keep doing this until, well, I'm what, uh, 35, so I've got another 35 years in me. Look out. That's scary. 
didn't want to go there. So, um, <laughs> man, that just rattled my cage. That's hard to believe. So, Mallard.com. If you haven't been here, you need to check it out. Um, thank you all. Talk to you soon. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs)